and opinions expressed on this podcast are that of the hosts and represent no other individual, organisation or entity. Adam and Roger break the news. I'm Roger. And I'm Adam. And today is the 13th of January. And of course, it's a Saturday. Yep, we are back to Saturday evenings, our regular slot. And everything seems to be back to normal again. Me unemployed. Uh, you working, I believe, and me doing my park runs and smashing the times. Yeah, it's back to the slog, really, isn't it? And oh boy, oh boy, has this week felt like a slog, Adam. I don't know if it has for you as well. Well, I had an interview. don't know how successful I've been there, because like I say, it's the thing about it, it's very tricky for me to get a job because I, I don't drive, but I'm, I really, really want to learn to drive. I need to learn. Um, it's just whether I'm allowed to learn. That's another question. I would like to learn, but it makes it getting a job very, very hard because relying on public transport or even taxis when there's no public transport is going to be a nightmare. So it basically restricts where I can get a job. I wouldn't discourage anyone who's able to learn how to drive from doing it and doing it as early as they can, based on my own experience. I also know if you're worried about learning to drive, you talk openly on here as well, you know, about that you have a disability. And there are driving instructors who specialise um, in teaching people with conditions like autism and whatever so that there is help out there. Yeah, so that might be something that I want to look into, maybe suggest to my dad, because, yeah, if, if we can boost his confidence, then maybe I might be able to learn to drive. Learning how to drive has been absolutely life-changing for me, and the earlier you can learn, the better. Uh, your body does deteriorate as you get older, doesn't it? And your capacity for learning. You can still learn new things, but it becomes harder. So I want to get... Hurry up and get started with that, I think. So if you'd like to get in touch, you can email us at breaknewspod at gmail.com. And before we start, um, as usual, I always like to go through my park run time. Today, I did Robert's Park Run, and I got 19.28, which is seven seconds faster than my overall PB, and eight seconds faster than my PB at Roberts Park Run. Now, I want to mention that course is a little bit short, and it is the winter course there, so I knew it was going to be a good time. I had a feeling that I would get a PB today because the conditions were better than the time before, and I probably could have done a little bit better. I had a few issues with my watch, so I actually won't concentrate properly. That's so I got behind a few runners. So I could have probably maybe saved a few more seconds off with that. Uh, my running does seem to be going well. Been out for a lot of runs this week again. And like I say, I've had plenty of time to do it. And hopefully I'll have quite a bit of time to do some next week as well. And you've been quite famous on the old Facebook as well this week with the start of your campaigning and public um, messages, haven't you? I wouldn't have said famous, but uh, one of my videos has had a lot of views. Um, I don't know if you've been following stuff, but I have started posting stuff. 
even though I haven't officially launched my campaign, it's quite clear what I am doing, isn't it? Yeah, and it shows how much you care about your community, though, Adam, and that you're willing to do something about it, and I'm glad it's getting some attention. Well done. Yeah, well, fingers crossed. But also, I've got rivals that are also doing a lot of social media campaigning, even more than me. Well, lots of people wanting to help out our city is a good thing. Yes, I agree. May the best man win, or woman win, and may the best man or woman be you. (laughs) I believe all the top candidates that are going to be doing it, I believe we're all men. So I believe it will be a man (laughs) that will do it. Although the Labour guy hasn't been selected, I have a good idea of who that is. Fair enough. I haven't got much new to report from my family this week because we've just kept our heads down while my oldest daughter was on residential at Ullswater in the Lake District and I'm pleased to report she came home in one piece having had an absolutely brilliant time so I'm really proud of her and I'm really happy with the way that the school and the teachers have looked after her so it's been a good weekend for me seeing her back i missed her terribly actually i was really surprised at how much i missed her yeah it's amazing how strong ties you have to family isn't it i find that i have very strong ties to my family as well and yeah i just i just feel like i've got to do everything that people say that just shows just how much tie i have to my family and i think you're the same as well aren't you absolutely and being ahead of a family is a very different experience as well and quite a scary responsibility. Whenever my kids are suffering, the first thought that comes to you is you, you just want it to be yourself and you just want to stop it, whatever. And I've also noticed that in my life, I am quite a logical person. However, when it comes to my kids, logic goes out of the window. Yeah. Um, that's true and so does kind of any sense of proportion you know you really would do anything for for your kids and your family it's yeah that's true like i said logic goes out of my question as well i'm a very very logical person but yeah logic goes out of the window when when i've got family i guess well i'm sleeping much better now that all of my immediate family are back under one roof where they're all supposed to be and um, i'm feeling more relaxed as we bring this week's podcast and talk about this week's news because boy oh boy there's been a lot of it there has and there's been some very very serious news so i'm going to kick off the podcast by talking about the attacks on the hutu rebels so richie sunak's decision to strike against hutu rebels is a pivotal moment in his premiership the uk government while having the prerogative for military action briefed key figures like the cabinet labor leader sakir starmer shadow defense secretary john healer and the speaker of the house lindsay hoyle the briefing led by deputy prime minister oliver dowden addressed concerns in Parliament about the wisdom of past military interventions. Prime Minister Sunak asserted that Hutu attacks cannot stand and defended 
the UK's action as limited, necessary and proportionate in self-defence amidst scepticism, especially from MP Neil O'Brien. The government may face a Commons debate to elaborate on its objectives, timeline and costs. The Scottish National Party, Liberal Democrats and Plaid Cairo criticised the bypassing of Parliament. The SNP's Stephen Flynn urged the UK government to inform Parliament promptly. The anticipation of military action grew evident when Defence Secretary Grant Sheps hinted at it, stating, Watch this space. The aftermath remains uncertain with diplomatic, geopolitical, military and economic implications. The potential risks of action or inaction, such as a wider Middle East conflict or disruptions in Red Sea shipping, raise concerns. These developments add to global uncertainty following the Ukraine war and the COVID pandemic. Now, what did you make about these airstrikes? I think it's very worrying that war seems to be spreading more and more across the world now and this does seem to have some sort of link to the gaza conflict yeah because the huge rebels are funded by iran and they're in parts of palestine so therefore there's been attacks on global shipping because they are against the West's support for Israel, so they've kept attacking the oil tankers. So now, because they're not able to use that route, it's pushing up prices on oil. So we might see fuel prices rise if this continues, which is the reason why they're having to attack them, because they can't have that shipping route closed down because it's going to present massive disruption. So I can understand where the strikes are coming from. So it just seems to be escalating and escalating the way it's going. But did you actually see this coming? Not at all, but I know you did. I Well, I didn't see the airstrikes coming until uh, until that emerged meeting was called. But I could see that there were um, an issue regarding the um, attacks on the oil shipments, but I definitely couldn't see the US and the UK getting involved. And I certainly think it's quite a moral quandary because we don't want to escalate any existing conflicts, but at the same time, we do have a bit of a right to defend ourselves and defend our shipments and defend our economy, which is in quite a precarious state. I'm reassured by the fact that we're just attacking a bunch of rebels here. We're not actually attacking a nation, but I sadly don't think Yemen see it that way. Trouble is as well, we've had some protests today over the Israel and Gaza conflict, and there's been people that have been actually protesting over the UK's attacks, and from what I heard on GB News, three people have actually been arrested uh, for terrorist messages. So... There's clearly some escalation within the UK, and the UK clearly is divided between different communities, unfortunately. Very divided in this conflict. Well, if you're against the war, you're against the war, and if you want to protest about that, absolutely fine. But 
Yeah, but if you're protesting in support for the Houthi rebels and protesting in support for Hamas, that's clearly then clearly not organisations that we should be supporting, other. You shouldn't be protesting in favour of hate and unkindness and the lack of liberty. Yeah, I agree. Um, but that's what a lot of these protests seem to be about, unfortunately. Which is why I can't see this dying down anytime soon. People will not be happy that the UK um, is into part of Israel and actually attacking these Houthi rebels. There will be plenty of people that will be very unhappy about this next week when they return in Parliament. I'm sure this will be strongly debated. So once they start debating it, things could escalate much further. War profiteers, though, and members of the military-industrial complex and those who have a stake in it will be clapping their hands, though, because the weapons trade keeps them in the big books. That's why I have my suspicions about um, some of their elements of Ukraine support, because we have a government that constantly complains that there's not enough money, that we're absolutely skint, that the economy's in the toilet, we can't support local councils we can't support the nhs yet right now rishi sunak is over in ukraine on a surprise visit where he has vowed unwavering support to ukraine during a meeting with president Zelensky, and announced that the uk has committed its largest annual aid package of two and a half billion pounds now he says that that the uk has committed that adam do you remember being asked no i don't remember being asked either the aid that we have provided apparently includes long-range missiles air defense artillery shells and a substantial investment in drones good news for all the companies that supply them i wonder if rishi sunak's got any interests in those despite calls for a multi-year commitment sunak opted for a one-year plan emphasizing the uk's position as the second biggest donor to ukraine in europe The package also included £18 million for humanitarian aid, fortifying energy infrastructure and funding for online English language training. Now, £18 for humanitarian aid. That sounds fair enough. The visit aimed to solidify a 100-year partnership between the UK and Ukraine, addressing concerns about Russian aggression. The UK became the first G7 country to sign a long-term security agreement with Ukraine. Sunak expressed confidence in international allies joining efforts to support Ukraine while acknowledging challenges faced by the US and the EU in reaching their support agreement. And just before we recorded this, footage came out of Rishi Sunak making a speech in Ukraine where he presented them with a union flag that was signed by himself and all the members of British cabinet, which they have agreed to display in the parliament building of Ukraine until the war is over. Vowing support is one thing, but do you think we're going too far, Adam? Definitely, because we've got much more serious conflicts, like, for example, in the Middle East, and we've also got problems here at home. Now, we're not supplying support for Israel, so why are we supporting one conflict over another? I think that's showing favouritism to Ukraine over all the other countries. I also think that um, it's bad because there are people in this country that are suffering because of the cost of living crisis. So I don't think the British people are being consulted here and I disagree with him attending Ukraine. I'm not sure it's going to go down well politically. 
as he thinks it is. I think he's hoping that he's coming across as strong and decisive, but I actually think he looks rather reckless and gung-ho and irresponsible with money. It's unbelievable that we always seem to be in the midst of a financial crisis, yet suddenly, for a war, they can pull out two and a half billion quid. And what's also even more amazing about this is we've already supported Ukraine loads, so why are we supporting them even more? And why have we got to be the leaders, the best, the biggest and the, the brightest? Why can't countries like the US lead the way? We've already taken a leading role, so if we've already taken a leading role, surely we should be letting other countries catch up to us. Maybe it's delusions of grandeur. Maybe our leaders think that we still are the greatest nation on earth. And it would be nice if we were, but we have to face facts we're not. And we've got to put ourselves on a recovery and growth footing instead of posturing like this. I completely agree with you, Ralph. I do think that we're only an island and we've got to remember that. And there are going to be other nations which are going to be growing much faster than us, like, for example, in the US and Canada. We have so many domestic problems, which I know we're going to go into for the rest of this podcast. Two and a half billion could make a massive difference. I agree. And one of the biggest problems, actually, is the NHS, which, to be fair, I'm going to give Richard Sunak some credit here because they are starting to fall. So NHS data reveals a second consecutive monthly drop in the COVID backlog, with the waiting list decreasing by 95,000 to 7.6 million in November. The NHS elective recovery blueprint led to 60,000 fewer patients waiting for care in November. Over 1.63 million treatments were delivered, the highest monthly activity ever recorded. The number waiting over a year for treatment fell to 355,412, the lowest since May 2022. Ambulance responses improved and diagnostics reached a record 2.3 million in November. Emergency responses were faster and weekly data until January the 7th shows progress in deploying more than 99,000 car beds for expected COVID and flu peaks. Despite challenges, including a six-day junior doctor's strike, NHS teams have expanded car beds by 1,084 to a total of 98,703. Flu crises increased with 1,548 patients in hospitals daily and measures like traffic control centres helped alleviate handover delays. The impact of recent junior doctor strikes resulted in rescheduling almost 114,000 appointments and operations. Professor Sir Stephen Powis, NHS National Medical Director commended the impressive efforts of the NHS staff in delivering care despite challenges and emphasised the ongoing need for public cooperation in seeking appropriate care. Now, 
what do you make about this? This is good news, isn't it? Waiting lists falling for a second consecutive month. It is. And I think it's because the NHS has not been meddled in as much for the last few months and they're being left to get on with the job and seems that they're getting their focus right and slowly, slowly recovering and improving. Well done. Yes, there has been less strikes, although there has been the junior doctor strikes recently, but these figures won't actually count those junior doctor strikes. Uh, Once they have an effect, maybe they might rise a bit again, but it seems like they're managing to get an approach and maybe Richie Sunak can actually bring these waiting lists down and achieve one of his other pledges, but I still think they'll be higher than when he came into office. And I don't think Rishi deserves all of the credit for it, neither. I guess that's a debate for another day. Meanwhile, what is increasing is the GP registration numbers. There are now 51,427 more patients registered at a GP practice in England as of the 1st of January 2024, compared to the 1st of December. That brings the total number of patients registered with a GP to 63,101,030. That increase is 7,727 patients higher than the same month in the previous year. What do you make of these figures? Something's not right, although we discussed the other week, I believe, about ghost patients... Uh, do you think this is ghost patients or do you think it's high immigration? Yes. Which one or both? I think it's probably both. And I know this is a figure that you follow and track very closely and it's probably no surprise to you that it's gone up. No, and I was expecting it to go up, actually. Um, it doesn't come as a surprise. I've been following these for months. And, yeah, each month they seem to have more and more patients um, over them compared to the same month in the previous year. So it wasn't a surprise, actually. It came out pretty much as I would have expected it to have come out. Do you think it's both as well? I think it's mostly higher immigration figures than what we see, but I do think there are a lot of GPs that are probably not deregistering ghost patients as well um, because it requires probably a lot of admin work. And as you see in a lot of organisations, they're very unorganised. So I do think there is a bit of both towards it as well. A lot of wastage going on. It doesn't surprise me. I've seen how corrupt the country is. It honestly doesn't surprise me, to be fair. It's not necessarily a good thing if we haven't got accurate figures, is it? So it's kind of a mixed bag this week of good and bad news about the NHS, I suppose. Yeah, but at least one good news is the waiting lists are falling, and that is the key. Do you think healthcare in the UK is generally getting better? Well, it's got definitely got better in the last two months, hasn't it? Waiting lists are falling. And I do think it has gotten better over the last year. There is definitely a recovery happening from COVID. They're nearly there. Yeah, well, if they're starting to get on top of it, I do see positives, like I say. The more we can hold off strikes and prevent strikes, that will obviously reduce the amount of pressure that the NHS is under. Persuading people not to strike is not easy. Not an easy task for the government, is it? And I think the NHS have managed to help themselves a lot by refocusing themselves on patient care and staying out of politics and cultural issues and just working on these targets hard. They're making progress, which is good. That's more than can be said for a lot of 
other enterprises and even the private sector. I completely agree with you. Another way that money could be spent more wisely, in my opinion, is school dinners. I work in a primary school and cards on the table. I'm a firm believer that every child in England and the whole of UK and indeed the world should be fed. And a good part of that is feeding them while they're at school. And that has been happening in Scotland and recently in London. And today, Mayor Sadiq Khan has proposed extending free lunches for primary school pupils in London for another year, allocating £130 million for the 2003-24 financial year. So what we've spent in Ukraine could fund that for 20 years. The initiative aims to provide financial relief for families struggling with the cost of living. Well praised by some, including chefs Jamie Oliver and Tom Kerridge, youth education charity Impetus suggests funding breakfast for disadvantaged pupils might better target those in need. The scheme covers pupils not already included in government funding, with concerns raised about potential unintended consequences. The mayor defends his decision, emphasising the positive impact on concentration. The final draft budget is expected on February 14th. Dinners for kids, Adam, what do you think? I think it's an interesting one. My theory is if you choose to have kids, you should think about also think about whether you can afford it, which obviously means making wise decisions yourself. There's always going to be an extra burden, and I do understand that people can lose a job and then go without a job. So I do understand that maybe there does need to be some support. I agree, Adam, that... People should plan families responsibly, but it can happen to anyone. Everyone lives in and out of luck, and everyone can have a bad time. And that is true. I've seen how tricky getting a job can be, especially if you don't drive, let's be honest. But should they just have free school meals for everyone, or do you think it should be means-tested? I think it should be for absolutely everyone. However... I would be also in support initially of it being means tested. I certainly don't think it should just be London kids who are getting this special treatment. I think it's disgusting that the rest of England is left out here. I don't understand why more people aren't making more of a fuss about this. We keep seeing our young people getting shafted over and over again. Here locally in Bradford last week I talked about how It looks like one of the major residential centres in Bradford, Ingleborough Hall, is closing. And it's just showing a short-sighted government and local councils because they're not investing in young people. And young people is one of the best things to invest in, in my opinion. It's in part to invest in young people. But then you say we should be providing free school meals, then... What should we be doing about the meals when they're not in school? Should we then be providing meals for kids to take home? Or do you think parents should be doing that work? No, parents should provide. But I think there should be more provision to help parents with meals. I'm not talking actually about handouts. Jamie Oliver, who was mentioned in this article about 10 years ago, he started and proposed a Ministry for Food 
Unfortunately, it died after about five years. But that was the idea of giving parents cooking courses and guiding parents where they could buy cheap local produce so that they could make the most out of their money. An initiative like that would help so much. You could also continue to extend schools opening hours by keeping the school kitchens open and using them as community kitchens and community cafes. Right now, this weekend, there are thousands of school kitchens with fantastic equipment in just left empty. We can use that. So there are so many other ways of handling child poverty than just giving handouts. We talk about having child benefits, for example, but we don't know whether they're actually going to spend the money on the children. Having actual supports, maybe providing actual children's clubs is probably a bit better than just giving people direct money because what's the point of giving it if they're going to spend it on something else? by the state, then it becomes pointless. So giving direct actual support that we know is definitely going to go to the kids, that is much more useful, which is why school meals, I think, are probably a better way to provide support because, you know, the kids are going to eat them when they're in school. It's like we do provide free education, don't we? So if we can provide free education, then maybe surely we can provide free school meals as well. If Rishi Sunak does want us to be Britain number one and a great nation, then he should make it a policy that he will not rest as long as there's a single child hungry in this country or a single child without a roof over their head every night. But how do you solve the thing about a roof over the head when you haven't got enough houses? One of the things that we need to do there is build more houses, isn't it? Bradford has hundreds of empty, abandoned buildings, even in the city centre, that could be converted snap-snap. I agree with you, but unfortunately, everywhere in the country's got that. Like I say, a lot of these buildings are actually deemed unsafe, which is why they're not able to use them. So maybe do you think we need maybe less of the nanny state and have less restrictions on safety? No, I definitely think children should be in safe housing and and that housing should be assessed and be safe before the kids go in it. We're not talking about something major or technological here. It's pretty basic to build a decent or to convert a decent piece of living accommodation. It's not rocket science, is it? No, I don't think it is. And to be honest with you, Roger, I kind of agree because if we've got loads of empty buildings, we can actually convert them into flats relatively quickly. Flats are smaller, uh, they're cheaper. It's much more cost-effective to build flats over houses. So there are ways of sorting it. But like I say, flats may not be the safest, but as long as they're built... uh, so that they don't pose a fire hazard, then there shouldn't be a big problem. Meanwhile, two and a half billion pounds to Ukraine. Yeah, there's plenty of things going wrong in this country, and then the money's being wasted in Ukraine. I honestly agree with you that Ukraine support is one of the worst policies. Please, please give us an election. But I know Labour are going to get in, but... <laughs> 
Well, I think it's a rather conservative in. Even though I disagree with some of the policies, I prefer them overall. I will be voting conservative um, at the next general election, but I do think Labour are going to get in. But how much is going to be tricky, although I have predicted with a small majority. So we'll have to see if I'm right or not. I remain undecided. But before then, we're probably likely to have local elections. And I definitely won't be voting to re-elect the current council in Bradford. And to finish our podcast today, I have one final tale from our City of Culture. It's one year now until we are the City of Culture for 2025. And you and I have mentioned on the podcast several times that Bradford City Centre right now is pretty much inaccessible. There's so much building work going on. The lanes keep getting shut and and changed. The car parking spaces are shut. And it takes up to two hours to get through Bradford City Centre at rush hour at the moment. And on public transport, it's even worse. And it's become even more worse. Last week I reported that Bradford Interchange had closed for an unknown reason and I, mistakenly, perhaps optimistically, assumed it had reopened. But no, it's still closed. And guess what, Adam? It's expected to remain closed for several weeks due to damage discovered on site, believed to be linked to recent extreme weather. Has it been that extreme, really? I don't think so. I don't know what they're trying to hide here. I don't know whether it's damage from rodents that they're embarrassed from, damage from weather, or even damage from the nearby roadworks that they're trying to cover up, more likely. I've heard all sorts of rumours about it, but apparently um, there are quite a lot of reports that basically part of the roof has caved in and it's part of the roof that has regularly leaked. And I remember in the interchange there was a certain part of it above that escalator that was often cut off and cordoned off because the roof was leaking, so maybe it's that. But anyway, the West Yorkshire Authority is assessing the extent of the damage and determining necessary remedial works. And I bet they're going to take a long time to do it. Plans for a temporary bus station are being developed to minimise disruption. Train services are unaffected, but the concourse below the bus station, including businesses like Greggs and WH Smith, is closed to the public. And the closure is causing disruption in the city centre amid ongoing regeneration works. What do you think, Adam? Yeah, you made a good point there. Obviously, I very rarely went into the interchange, so I never actually saw the leaks because from my experiences in the interchange, they have not been very good. Buses often drive past them. I just find it easier to wait at a bus stop than the interchange anywhere, so I relatively rarely use it. And then recently, I've been going into Halifax a lot more, so I haven't been going into Bradford that much, so I haven't barely used the interchange an awful lot, actually. So, and I'm being down into Bradford uh, since this is closed. Although I will be going down on Monday, so it might make things a little bit awkward because I need to catch a second bus. So I'm going to have to plan my routes interview and plan extra time because now the buses are parking on main roads, which is slowing down the traffic even more. Yep, I'm working out where the new bus stops are going to be. I might have to walk a little bit onto the bus route so that I don't get confused. Yeah, it is literally 
a nightmare in Bradford, isn't it, at the moment? And the roadworks just queuing into Bradford are also a nightmare. The council have been leaving that interchange to rot for the best part of a decade, and I think they were on a hope and a prayer that it wouldn't fall apart before they started the proper regeneration works as part of the culture year. Unfortunately, it has, and it's come back to bite them, and now they're going to have to do this repair work, probably reopen the interchange for a couple of months, only then to have to close it again when it's the right phase of the repair works. So more wastage and inefficient spending from a useless council. And I think the reason why they're probably very concerned and they've got to do all these surveys is probably because they might be frightened about the whole roof potentially collapsing. And they should be. Yes, if one part's collapsed, then surely there's the material's probably all built at the same time, so the other material might be weak as well, and that's, yeah, they're probably frightened about it all caving in, so that's why they've probably had to shut it. Bradford want people to use more public transport so that they can expand the clean air zone. They've started demolishing some parts of the Richard Dunn Centre this week, some of the parts that they can get away with, because they are obsessed with building their park and ride. Yeah, they've got to close Ingleborough Hall and all of the tips, but they're going to build their park and ride, Adam. Nobody yes. wants it. Nobody asks no, for it, but, it's but their, you're going to get their, it. It's their anti-car agenda, isn't it? They, they don't want people in cars, yet the public transport, park and ride, it's all going to be really bad. Um, it's just getting worse and worse for this council, isn't it? And I am sick of feeling that I have no voice and no control and seeing all of these things happening that we just didn't ask for. Well, the people have asked for it. They've voted Labour in time and time again. And I wish people would realise that when you do vote for them in Bradford, you're voting for the clean air zone. You're voting for the park and ride. You're voting for focusing on the culture year. And you're voting for shutting down roads in the city centre. You're voting for a massive office block. You're voting for a new Dallas Street market whilst at the same time destroying the Kurgate Centre and the Oslo Centre. You're voting for a load of rubbish. It's so disappointing. I do think this year um, I'm going to have to try and, and find a way to feel like I'm making more of a difference. And we might have to vote for the party that you think has got the most chance of getting Labour out. Well, I've got my vote and I've got my work and I've got this little podcast. I suppose that's more than many other people do. Yeah, I agree. So, yeah, fingers crossed that you can make the right decision and, and um, manage to vote Labour out, which well, will probably mean voting for the, the other party that you disagree with as well. And you have to remember as well, you can't control everything. Sometimes you do just have to go to with the floor. Sometimes you just have to step back, smile and watch the world burn. Yeah, and as Nigel Farage always says, people are not usually voting for the party that they like. They're voting for the one that they dislike the least. I definitely think I'm going to be doing that in May if I decide to vote at all. I will vote, but it may be another spoiled ballot job. I'm mm-hmm. never going to take that option off the table. <laughs> at least you're keeping your options open and making a decision. Because I think there's plenty of people that don't look into these things. Yeah, and I think that is a shame that people don't keep an open mind. And part of the reason why I love doing this podcast with you, Adam, because debate 
and research can help to open your mind and see that opposite point of view. Yeah, I agree. And um, I think, yeah, we do that reasonably well in the podcast. So um, I hope you all enjoyed it. And um, if you did, please send us an email. We're still waiting, I believe. It's breakthenewspod at gmail.com. I've really enjoyed it as well, Adam. It's felt good getting a lot of the tension of this week off my chest. And it's been nice, actually, to just talk about pure news because since Christmas, um, we haven't really done that because you know we've had our predictions shows and everything which i'd definitely encourage anyone to go back and listen to so you can see what adam and i think might happen in 2024 yeah and we're gonna be looking forward to covering that hopefully at some point this year it's going to be interesting seeing if our predictions come true or not that is for sure yeah especially the election one there's going to be a lot of debate over towards that um, but if you'd like to join in, please email us, as I've just mentioned, and be sure to share with your family and friends. Tell us, tell people about us. We'd love to get more listeners. So thank you all for listening. It's goodbye from me. Have you got anything else to say, Roger? Just a goodbye as well. Take care, everyone. But never look down on anyone Unless you're giving them a hand up Cos it can happen to anyone of us